What a beautiful morning on this Thursday, December 9th. Beautiful is a choice. I'm deciding it's a beautiful morning. Just about ate it getting into my vehicle today. The roads are skating rinks in our neck of the woods, but alas, it is a beautiful morning. And this show is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well, the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin. It's non-custodial. What does that mean? That's a big deal. It means that they send your purchased Bitcoin directly to you. Most online exchanges don't do this, and that's where they raise the red flags. You can get in touch with Bitcoin Well if you want to learn more about why this matters. In person, they've got free one-on-one consultations in Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, and Winnipeg. I owe Winnipeg an apology this morning. I've heard people say Portage in Maine a million times, but yesterday I looked on the page and it looked to me like what you do when you put a canoe up over your shoulders and walk with it. It looked to me like Portage Avenue. Clearly not Manitoban. <laughs> Though I did marry a Manitoba girl and I embarrassed her yesterday and I'm sorry. The new Bitcoin well location on Portage. You can find them online under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Great show in store coming up in one minute. Uh, Canada's defense minister in about 10 minutes. We'll talk Alberta politics with uh, two respected and longtime journalists, uh, columnists, Graham Thompson, Janet French will join us. And then later in the show, we're going to take a look at the word of the year per dictionary.com. I want to get to some of your emails, plus Dr. Brian Agalski on how uh, he's a romantic relationship researcher out of the U.S., how in older couples, heart rates become synchronized. It's kind of one of those like, ah, stories on the heels of our talk about friendship yesterday, which was great and prompted some good emails from you. Eat your words. Today is going to be a lively one. It's something I've been wanting to say for a long time. And so we'll be getting into that all before the show wraps. Uh, let's get the ball rolling. This was Canada's prime minister just a short time ago uh, announcing that Canada, the views on the upcoming Beijing games kicking off right at the beginning of February, February 4th, uh, Canada's views will align with those of the U.S. As of right now, the athletes are going, but the diplomats are not. We are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations uh, by the Chinese government. That is why uh, we are announcing today that we will not be sending any diplomatic representation to the Beijing Olympic Paralympic Games this winter. Our athletes have been training for years and are looking forward to compete at the highest level against athletes from around the world, and they will continue to have all of our fullest support. That's Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yesterday as we welcome now uh, Canada's Minister of National Defense. She's the member of Parliament for Oakville, Ontario, appointed to the position in October of 2021, the Honorable Anita Anand, making her Real Talk debut. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Thanks for making time for us. Well, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here in Edmonton. I'm here to thank the 3rd Canadian Division and they've made incredible contributions right here out of CFB Edmonton especially with regards to the floods in British Columbia, but across the board, including with vaccine deployment. You'll remember that that was my previous portfolio. And I am just so grateful to our Canadian Armed Forces, which prompted me to make sure that I get out here as soon as possible. We've got a whole bunch of questions for you. I'm grateful that you've made time for us before your meetings uh, the day you start. I want to ask you, I mean, obviously you'll say to me, well, I'm the defense minister. That's the prime minister. But obviously you sit as a senior member of cabinet. That decision to not send diplomats to Beijing 
Uh, perhaps there are implications for your portfolio, but generally speaking, the government perspective on this one is what? The government perspective on this one is that there are significant human rights violations occurring in China, especially regarding the Uyghurs, and it is important that we acknowledge that, and that is the basis of the decision to not send diplomatic representatives to China um, and continue to support our athletes, especially in light of the extensive training that they have done year after year to get to this point in their lives. I've seen several people that, you know, in the know, in the sense that people have experience with diplomacy or with international sporting competitions on social media. I'm sure you've seen it, too, saying the RCMP can't protect Canadian athletes in this context. Are there concerns about the security of Canadian athletes if they do participate in the Games? I've spoken extensively uh, with my cabinet colleagues as well as with Parliamentary Secretary Adam Vancouverden on this issue. Uh, we all feel strongly that the security of our athletes is a top priority, and that is something that we will make sure to uh, attend to and be on top of for the protection of those representing Canada on the international world stage, such as the Olympics. Yeah. And of course, a unique perspective from uh, Adam Vancouverden as an Olympic champion himself. Uh, final question on the games and the implications for you. Does it make your job uh, a little bit more interesting? Does it, does it throw a, a bit of a, a kink or a wrinkle into some of the plans that you have potentially from uh, diplomatic perspectives with the Chinese. I want to ask you in a moment about Canada's relationship with the United States and what's going on right now with President Biden and his high level conversations. But does this have an impact on the Minister of National Defense? Well, listen, we are eyes wide open on China. And indeed, I'm working with uh, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, in crafting an Asia Pacific strategy uh, that we will continue to execute. It's important for us to recognize that we have uh, trade relationships with China on the one hand, but we have concerns relating to human rights violations and other security issues on the other. And we will continue uh, to work across government, across ministers, uh, to ensure that Canada's protection is front and center. And in that work, we will continue to collaborate and coordinate with our multilateral allies, including the United States, including the United Kingdom. And in my role as Minister of Defense, I have had a number of bilateral and trilateral meetings with my counterparts in these important countries. Minister, obviously a, a huge part of your work will be focused on the sexual misconduct crisis that uh, Canada's military experiencing right now. And it's obviously having a big impact on thousands of men and women that are serving the latest uh, announcement, I suppose, a couple of days ago on Tuesday, the former head of human resources for the Canadian Armed Forces uh, becomes the most senior ranking official to be charged with sexual assault. Vice Admiral Hayden Edmondson charged with one count of sexual assault, one count of committing indecent acts. What have you determined early in your tenure as defense minister following conversations, I'm sure, with men and women that serve in the armed forces? What sort of an impact is this having? And what have you noted about the culture of the armed forces? How do you intend to rectify what's becoming well-known among Canadians right now? Well, I think that we need to re remember that Justice Marie Deschamps in 2015 identified a cultural crisis within the Canadian Armed Forces. And my role is to ensure that those people 
who every day put on a uniform to protect our country are indeed protected within the organization themselves. And so I am working very hard with the Chief of Defense Staff, Wayne Eyre, to ensure that we have a united front in addressing issues relating to accountability addressing issues relating to the military justice system. You'll recall that on November 4th, I announced that we were accepting the interim recommendation of Madame Arbour and moving cases relating to sexual misconduct from the military justice system to the civil justice system. This is just the first of many reforms that we will be undertaking to ensure that members of the Canadian Armed Forces are respected, protected and treated fairly. I have met with veterans and stakeholders, including uh, INJ 700, to indicate my sincere concern for the plight of victims and survivors of sexual misconduct and other discrimination in the Canadian Armed Forces. This is work that is continuing, uh, but I won't stop until we have accomplished a number of items on the agenda. Minister, I, want, I don't want my question to come across as obtuse. I want to acknowledge that obviously the top priority here needs to be justice and, and opportunities for, for healing and counseling for people that have encountered or that have experienced these types of sexual assault or the sexual misconduct within the forces. I do want to ask you, though, about retention and recruitment. How much of an issue is this right now when it comes to the armed forces? So just to pick up on that very important point, in order for individuals to want to serve their country on an ongoing basis, uh, we need to make sure that they would feel safe and protected when they come into the organization. So recruitment and retention is very much a part of the discussion that we are having relating to rebuilding the confidence in the Canadian Armed Forces from inside and with respect to the work they do right around the world. Uh, in fact, when I go to CFB Edmonton today, we will be having discussions about recruitment and retention. And I, as a visible minority woman, can appreciate uh, the importance of making sure that all individuals who wish to serve feel included and indeed are in fact included in the calculation. Yeah, for the benefit of our audience, interesting to, to note that you're just the second uh, woman to serve in this role, uh, aside from former Prime Minister Kim Campbell, who was briefly in that position for about six months uh, back in 1993. Uh, Minister, you, you've talked about uh, a top priority being expanding the Canadian Armed Forces, investing in the Canadian Armed Forces. The average person on the street probably lacks a, a fulsome understanding of where those investments need to be made. I know there's been some talk about upgrading Canada's fleet of fighter jets over the past probably 10 or 12 years. What does it look like? What are your top priorities in that context over the next year, two or three? Well, to begin, you'll recall that our policy rests on strong, secure, engaged. That is a fully costed plan for our defense and the equipment that we need for territorial defense, both, both domestically and internationally. And so my job is to continue to ensure that the Canadian Armed Forces is able to execute on strong, secure, engaged. In addition to that, I come from the procurement portfolio where you probably know about the vaccine work that I did, but I was also working very hard on procurements uh, relating to the ships that we need to have to support our um, men and women in uniform, as well as, uh, as you mentioned, 
the aircraft and other items from a procurement perspective. And so I have this perspective that I'm bringing to the table to ensure that we have the support that the Canadian Armed Forces need across the board to do their job, whether at land or at sea or in the air. And that's what I'll continue to do in supporting Strong, Secure, Engaged. Obviously, you have a lot of experience in vaccine procurement. Uh, You've got to go and so do we. So I'll make this the last question. It was remarkable. It was heart wrenching, uh, quite brutal, in fact, uh, to see what it took in particular in Ontario's long term care homes. It wasn't until members of Canada's armed forces showed up to provide assistance that that whistle was blown, that letters were signed by real people with real names. We hear people with experience internationally serving their country, people who've seen it all. Uh, writing these letters with tears in their eyes, demanding that changes be made to Ontario's long-term care and to long-term care across the country. We've talked to Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos about this ourselves on this show. You also mentioned the flooding and uh, the role that the men and women in the armed forces have played with regards to flooding, relief, rescue and recovery efforts, et cetera, in particular in B.C. Do these serve as a reminder to Canadians about the outside of combat involvement? that these men and women participate in, train for, and ultimately are tapped on the shoulder to carry out? It's an excellent question. And I just want to say that at the very rock bottom, the Canadian Armed Forces have been serving Canada and protecting Canada. And part of the work that they have been doing in British Columbia regarding the floods, in vaccine deployment, in long-term care homes, in evacuating people out of Afghanistan even, is to serve and protect. And I am here today as my first visit uh, to Western Canada to thank Canadian Armed Forces members for the hard work that they have done on the front lines in all of these areas and to make sure they realize how important they uh, have been to the success of our country, whether it is in long-term care homes or in those other instances I mentioned. We really need to ensure that all Canadians see that Canadian Armed Forces have been there every step of the way for our country in times of need. Canada's Defence Minister, she's the MP out of Oakville, Ontario, the Honourable Anita Anand. We appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Thank you so much. Take good care. You bet. Journalist, uh, columnist, Graham Thompson, Janet French coming up in just a moment. We'll turn our attention to provincial politics. I wanted to remind you right now, if you're still looking for that perfect gift for that loved one in, in your life that, that perhaps is a creator, someone that has that eye, could maybe use an upgrade in equipment to carry out their vision. The Fujifilm holiday sales continue right now at McBain, uh, you can save $500 as we speak right now on the Fujifilm X-T3 camera body. This is a high-performance premium camera guaranteed to become an inseparable partner in your artistic journey. It features an evolved processing engine that substantially improves the camera's ability to track moving subjects. It boosts your autofocus speed and your accuracy. These are big deals for obvious reasons, and right now you can get this beautiful machine, the Fujifilm X-T3 camera body for just $13.99.99 and you've got the confidence that comes with a 30-day price protection guarantee at mcbainecamera.com you can check out their full list of fujifilm black friday deals still on right now mcbain create to inspire 
You know, another fantastic option if you're looking to infuse the holiday spirit into your life or the life of somebody you love, why not swing by windspearcenter.com right now? All of the concerts featuring the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, the youth tickets are just $15. Adult tickets start at $25. And there's obviously high demand for these concerts, including coming up in just a few days, a traditional Christmas runs December 17th through the 23rd. You want to hear the Nutcracker? Sweet. You want to hear your favorite Christmas carols? This is your concert. They've got holiday magic. Hollywood films featured like Home Alone and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. That's December 18th through the 22nd featuring ESO's chief conductor, Alex Pryor. Kind of a big deal. And Hollywood for the holidays. Disney, big blockbuster films like Harry Potter, Star Wars, all put to symphonic sound from December 28th through the 30th. You can get your tickets now at Winspear center.com hey perhaps your holidays involve getting out of town we're proud to tell you about a partnership we have with jet set parking if you're going to be flying out of edmonton international airport why not park your car at jet set park your money in the bank with our promo code real talk at jetsetparking.com it's just five dollars a day to park at eia five bucks at jetsetparking.com well, we talked about this yesterday out of the gates. Bill 81 passed at the Alberta legislature. It's bringing changes, of course, to election finance, to reform two of those keeping the closest eye on this. Kind enough to join us this morning to make sense of this all. I've asked them both to, to approach this from the ground level so us ordinary folks can truly understand what's happening and what the impact of these changes, this legislation will be on our everyday lives and on our democracy Graham Thompson is an award-winning journalist. He's covered Alberta politics for more than 30 years. You've read his work for many years in the Edmonton Journal. He's been featured on the CBC and iPolitics. And, of course, I love his column in Alberta Views magazine. Janet French, a provincial affairs reporter with the CBC, covers happenings at the legislature for radio, TV, and web, where I'm sure you've seen her work. She's also worked at the Edmonton Journal and the Saskatoon Star Phoenix. They have seen it all. And it's a pleasure to welcome them both to the show. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, Janet, this was uh, an unusual one, wasn't it? I mean, it was up. It was yesterday, basically 2.33 o'clock clock in the morning until this thing wrapped up uh not just journalists but the mla's ministers and the premier as well burning that midnight oil why was this such a priority kind of unusual to go till three in the morning the last day of the fall sitting i uh i wish it was uh less unusual (laughs) (laughs) uh unfortunately yeah so uh there was a very contentious bill uh about election finance that was before uh the legislature and graham can perhaps shed some more light on the background about why this was such a hot topic but like you mentioned it it proposed making many many changes to uh, the way that elections are financed and the way nomination uh candidates are financed so the, the rationale that the government gave was that they wanted to get big money out of politics, which um, the NDP also tried to make changes to get big money out of politics. Uh, so this government wanted to reform the way that third party advertisers and political parties uh, interacted in such that they wanted to make sure that anybody, uh, any sort of third party advertiser who had a connection, like a, a person in a high level position in a political party and the advertiser couldn't 
uh, register as a third-party advertiser. And this was what was they were calling the closing the AFL loophole, as in the government believes that the Alberta Federation of Labor has too much influence over the NDP. Uh, they also wanted to eliminate some of the, what they said was foreign influence into Alberta elections. I'm not sure there's a lot of evidence that that is already a problem, but that was something they seemed concerned about. And um, they also wanted to uh, put some limits on uh, how people donate to these third-party advertisers. Do you know what a third-party advertiser is? We need to explain that? Or? Well, I mean, it, it might be beneficial. I mean, I think people have, yeah. a, have a sort of a general working understanding of PACs, of political action committees, and, and, and the third-party advertisers. But but the whole reason why we're excited to have the two of you here is is to make us sound smarter, Janet yeah. and Graham, when we talk <laughs> to our friends. So maybe, maybe a, a quick uh, you know, third-party advertiser 101 would be good. For sure. So a third party advertiser is not a political party. They are somebody who registers with an elections entity like Elections Alberta or Elections Canada to run ads during the campaign. So you might see ads that are focused on health care or you might hear a radio ad. There were some that ran in the fall about like Jason Kenny and Aaron O'Toole, two peas in a pod, like they're kind of trying to um, influence people's opinions of politicians or political issues, but they are not directly affiliated with political parties. And the groups so will the, always have creative names like Albertans for Democracy or Canada First. Yeah, Shaping Alberta's Future is a big one in provincial politics here that had a, a big influence over the 2019 provincial election that was very uh, supportive of the United Conservative Party. So uh, now maybe Graham wants to talk a little bit about why uh, election financing is such a hot topic and why people maybe might have been so interested in uh, the way that the government, what the government was going to do to this bill. Well, sure. And yeah, Graham, let's get into this because it's it's worth noting that the Alberta Federation of Labor AFL president Gil McGowan was really pushing back on this language. He didn't like it. He said, what we've been doing is participating in advocacy campaigns, which is the epitome of democracy. So so can you take, you know, take us into this, Graham, with the truth around it? Yeah, look, this is four parts to the bill. It's 170 pages long. So quickly, Fixed election dates. Next election is going to be held on May 29th, 2023. So they got that. And you're right. The issue is it's called the AFL loophole. So Kenny keeps calling it. This is the reason he brought in the bill as aimed not just specifically, according to legislation, just at the AFL. But really, this is about Kenny trying to neutralize the Alberta Federation of Labor. It's been, of course, it's a lot of money from members um, and unions, and it can spend that money political action committees to basically run ads attacking uh, Jason Kenney and the government. So Kenny, it was driving Kenny nuts. So this is really an anti-union bill targeting and a wide net to grab union groups like the AFL. So this is one way Kenny wants to get them out of the picture before the next election. But it's a, Graham, it's a clever way, isn't it, to, to deflect attention from your own backyard to 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 oh. a, adopt that moniker like the No New Pipelines Act or the No New Pipelines Bill, which is not what it's really called. The AFL loophole would imply, let's be honest, that there's a left wing group supporting what Kenny would have everyone believe is a left wing political party. Is, is this limited to that side of the political spectrum or they're not third party advertisers that are impacting conservative messaging, too? Well, of course, you know, again, like this is not, it doesn't say in the bill, this is just aimed at AFL, but Kenny calls it the AFL loophole. This is him targeting through a, throwing a wide net. He's uh, in a sense, still targeting the AFL. It's really, it's focused more on unions. They're supporting the NDP. 
And this is something that's driving Kenny crazy. So yes, even though the bill is not naming the AFL as a target, this really is an anti-union bill aimed at getting union money out of elections. So they got that. And this was a big contentious issue for Kenny. The, the third thing was uh, financial contributions. When this bill was first brought in, um, it was basically going to allow a backdoor way of wealthy contributors to give unlimited amounts of money to political parties at the nomination, local nomination uh, level, and then funneling that money up through the system to party headquarters. Unlimited amounts of money because right now, you know, the NDP has been out fundraising the uh, UCP by millions of dollars. Again, it was driving Kenny crazy because a big issue in politics is money, money, money when it comes to running elections and war chess. So he wanted to, uh, looks like, get more money into the party through the back door. But then they did shut that down. The government did agree to put a limit at $4,000. So basically, right now, you're allowed to spend $4,000 a year, roughly, in political contributions. They've doubled that to, I'm being simplistic here, to $8,000. So still allowing more money in, but not unlimited. And the fourth part of this bill is the bulk membership mm -hmm. idea. That's what was driving the debate until three o'clock on Tuesday morning, yesterday morning. So this was the idea that the government made sure that a person could buy hundreds of memberships in another person's name. It could happen to all political parties, but again, it seems to be focused more on the UCP that they could, a person could buy, a wealthy person could buy hundreds of memberships in other people's names without them knowing. And then that could be used potentially in a nomination contest, a leadership review. So this was the one that was driving people in the, uh, the debate, which why you had three members of the UCP, three MLAs saying, this is a really bad idea. We need to have written consent. So if you get a membership, you got to sign for it, make sure that you know about this. Uh, you also had the uh, two members of the UCP who were kicked out of the UCP earlier this year, the independents, Todd Lowen and uh, Drew Barnes, they were speaking against it. So it was almost like a microcosm in some ways of Alberta politics. You had the NDP versus the UCP. You also had in that UCP split within the UCP caucus. And then you also had the split within the conservative movement with Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes speaking out against it. But also you had ministers filibustering. So you had this top-down dynamic where the government was trying to uh, manipulate this, uh, this debate. And ultimately, though, at the end of the day, Kenny, of course, prevailed. He controls uh, his caucus. He's got a very strong grip and a very weak caucus. And the majority voted Kenny's way, even though I imagine there's others like uh, Leela here and uh, Richard Godfrey, UCP members who voted against it, who feel this was a bad bill. But it got pushed through at three o'clock in the morning with the government filibustering it and uh, putting in, uh, bringing down um, time allocation or uh, closure. So it's almost like a microcosm in those few hours of just how testy things are in Alberta politics, how heated it was getting, uh, not only between members uh, of the UCP and their own government, but also the, the speaker in the chair, the acting speaker, um, uh, deputy speaker. Yeah, Angela, Angela Pitt. Pitt. She had was, a was going, yeah, sorry, she was going head to head with Jason Nixon, <laughs> yeah. who's the government house leader. Yeah, that was that was remarkable to see. Essentially, uh, Nixon throwing some shade at Angela Pitt and Angela Pitt basically smacking him down, telling him to sit back down while she, 
you know, conducts proceedings. It was remarkable to see these obviously members, you would assume, of a party that has some values aligned. I think it's worth noting a couple of things. Graham, you, you mentioned how, you know, purchased memberships, bulk bought memberships could have a big influence in a nomination race. Like, for example, I don't know, a by-election in Fort McMurray where Brian Jean may be seeking to take the nomination there for the United Conservatives. That's something people are paying attention to. And, and Janet, is it fair to point out that while Graham is correct, that this would allow for bulk purchase of memberships for any political party. There's only one political party that's being investigated for alleged wrongdoing along these exact lines in its 2017 leadership race, which is the United Conservatives. It's relevant. That's why people, I think, are speaking out. It's relevant. Yeah, and I was going to say that's the background. You really need to look at this whole thing through the lens you need to look at it through, right? Is that we still don't really understand what happened in 2017 when Jason Kenney ran against Brian Jean and two other contenders in this leadership race for this new United Conservative Party. And uh, there are multiple allegations, but the two that are the most relevant here is that there was ballot box stuffing, that, that people bought these memberships in bulk properly or improperly, it's still the jury is still out uh, and uh, somehow managed to um, cast, you know, bulk amounts of votes for certain leadership contenders. There's also allegations that there was collusion between multiple leadership campaigns and this. You've probably heard of this kamikaze candidate, Jeff Calloway. The allegation is that that somehow money improperly changed hands to funnel uh, money to the Jeff Calloway campaign so that he could uh, attack Brian Jean and let Kenny sort of um, look like the take the high road and not not bother with Brian Jean, just focus on policy, right? Uh, and so we've the CBC and other outlets have done quite a lot of reporting on that. So so I think that there's a lot of sensitivity around this issue of like, can we? Is it proper to buy a membership for anybody other than myself? Now the UCP, uh, they whenever this comes up, they always point back to their own party. Every obviously every party has its own rules, right? Mm -hmm. Their party's rule is that you can only buy a membership for yourself or your spouse uh, or any of your children, right? Uh, note to any of my future spouses: please do not buy me any party memberships without my consent uh, and anyone else. So now the big the big sort of technical argument in here right now, though, between the opposition and the sort of rogue MLAs who are raising this as an issue, and the independents and the government, is whether you can buy a membership for somebody else right now in Alberta, whether that is legal or not. And there was an amendment in this bill that was a bit of a, it wasn't a direct amendment, it was sort of like a little backdoor way. It was like, and while you're buying a membership for somebody else, you can do this, right? And so that was a that was the sort of um, the flashpoint for this whole argument about whether or not. And then the, the chief electoral officer ended up issuing an opinion saying, well, actually, according to my interpretation of the act, no, you are not supposed to be only only an individual can buy their own membership and a membership can only only an individual can buy a membership in a party. And uh, it was quite extraordinary. The justice minister got up in the house and said, I don't agree with him. I'm a lawyer. I don't agree with the chief electoral officer's interpretation. Yeah, that was, and, and Casey Maddu 
Alberta's justice minister spelling it out even further. I mean, I couldn't believe he was doing it, as a matter of fact, on the record, saying it is not illegal to purchase memberships. For it was like he was like spelling out the game plan. Uh, you know, it's like Bill Belichick coming up and being like, it is not illegal to deflate the footballs. It is not technically illegal to deflate the foot. I'm going, what are you doing? And you're exactly right, Janet. And Graham, I'm curious for your insight on this as well. I mean, you know, the, the premier's communications director, executive director of communications, Brock Harrison, yesterday replying to opposition leader Rachel Notley here. You can see it on Twitter. She says, Rachel says, I don't want to be a UCP member. I don't want Albertans to have UCP memberships purchased for them without their consent. Like this post, if you agree. Now, obviously, Rachel's politicking. It's what they do. Brock replies back, says Rachel knows this is not true. She knows the new law does no such thing. And then he goes on to do his version of politicking says she also knows the new law stops Gil McGowan aka AFL Alberta Federation of Labor from bankrolling her next election with union dues I think that's what she's really upset about so shots fired we reached out to Alberta's former election commissioner Lauren Gibson for an interview he declined uh, citing non-disclosure provisions in the election act that he can't go on the record with us but he did provide a statement uh, this from former election commissioner Lauren Gibson to real talk quote I can say that allowing people to purchase party memberships on behalf of others without their knowledge or consent is a back doorway for parties to circumvent contribution limits. Every jurisdiction has rules prohibiting straw contributions like contributions made with other people's money. Uh, and this is not a lot different from that. Exempting party membership fees from the definition of the term contribution makes it legal, but it does not make it any more acceptable. He closes by saying allowing people to purchase party memberships on another's behalf can also open the door to some rather unsavory practices on the part of leadership and nomination contestants who would prefer to buy their way into public office. I appreciated the statement. He didn't tipsy toe around. He got right to the point, Graham. Yeah, well, of course, Lauren Gibson's been outspoken for a number of years and has been basically fired twice. Paid the price. Uh, yeah, you know, by uh, Stalmax government and now by the uh, the Kennedy government most, most recently. Uh, yeah, and as Janet pointed out, the context here is so important because of what happened in the 2017 uh, leadership race with um, with Kenny winning and Brian Jean still being uh, upset about that, of course, um, and still under an RCMP investigation. And by the way, i got to point out, um, uh, Ryan, that you, you pointed to the um, nomination uh, battle yeah. It'll be happening this weekend in Fort McMurray, where um, Brian Jean, of course, a former Wild Rose leader, wants to come back into the UCP uh, as, a, as a candidate in a by-election yet to be announced in Fort McMurray. Um, this this law will, will, will not affect that. Um, you know, they were cut off selling memberships about two and a half weeks ago. So Bill 81 will, will not affect that. So this, but still, this weekend, we're going to see if Brian Jean can win the UCP nomination in Fort McMurray with the stated objective of then running in the general election and then, you know, then becoming basically a thorn in Kenny's side to try and help force Kenny out. Now, we'll see what happens this weekend. You know, you got, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you got Joshua Gogo, and that's the government's or the, the UCP's um, choice of a candidate. And we'll see what's actually going to happen this weekend if, uh, if, Brian Jean can win that. Of course, if he does win it, it makes it really, things, things really, really uh, interesting and uh, difficult for, um, for Jason Kenney. But if he doesn't win the nomination, uh, Brian Jean said, I'll run as an independent yeah. uh, in the next general election. And that election, of course, it will be taking, uh, taking place according to Bill 81 on uh, May 29th, 2023. So, yes, going back to Lauren Gibson 
uh, it's interesting how he's phrasing things uh, pretty blunt, though, that mm -hmm. this is seen in context. This could, it's interesting as well that you had Casey Madhu saying, no, we have, as Janet pointed out, we have in our own uh, constitution in our, the UCP that a person can only buy memberships for a spouse or a child. Well, if that's the case, then why did they make this law in such a way that a person could buy hundreds of memberships for other people? So as like a, as a dichotomy here, it makes no sense unless you can get uh, skeptical, even cynical thinking there's a reason behind this bill, a reason why they want people to be able legally to buy hundreds of memberships for other people without their consent. I said in a monologue yesterday, Graham, always ask why. I'm curious uh, for both of your take on this. And, and Janet, you and I have spoken before, and I know you're going to you're going to want to say I'm the objective journalist, Ryan. Stop asking me these opinion questions. But 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 <laughs> so I'll, I'll tread lightly around there and you can absolve yourself of any assignment if you so choose. But I've, I've had some interesting conversations with friends, uh, some of them political strategists and successful ones at that that have argued that the best case scenario in that Fort McMurray uh, by-election is obviously that Jason Kenney's candidate of choice would win. That's most ideal for the government, for Premier Kenney. The second most ideal circumstance, and arguably the most ideal, argues one of my friends, would be that the NDP would actually win that because it would allow the government, it would allow the conservatives to sound the alarm, to say, you see what happens when there's fractures within the party. You see what happens when we uh, de what do you use? disunite? Is that a word? Disunite? Ununite? Disunite? When we're not <laughs> united anymore. Would you agree, Janet? You, th you think that that could actually be uh, beneficial to the premier if the NDP wins the by-election? That is an interesting question. Isn't it? Um, and I've been so focused on like the Bigogo or Gene and like what what's the strategy if Gene gets in? Like what, you know, how long would he be able to sit in a Kenny caucus as a UCP member without sound, you know, mm -hmm. trying to undermine Kenny so much that he would get kicked out of caucus? So I haven't even thought about honestly, would I guess the question is, would Fort McMurray elect an NDP uh, MLA? Right. Um, I guess I would have to know a little bit more about the character of Fort McMurray. I'm trying to remember how they did last time. I think they did. Uh, the NDP candidate did OK, but did not come close. Maybe Graham remembers better how that result was. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if it would be. Uh, I, I think it's probably not the riding that they're worried about. If, I, if I'm the UCP right now, I'm looking at the seats in Calgary and I'm looking at the seats in Lethbridge and some of the medium-sized cities and wondering if that's where I'm most vulnerable. Graham, what do you think about that hypothetical? Yeah. You know, I've thought about this. I thought if, let, let's say Brian Jean does win this weekend. I'm not saying he will because, um, you know, the uh, Kenny people had a head start on this and uh, they've been doing a lot of selling memberships up until three weeks ago when the cutoff came. Um, and Brian Jean, of course, is well-known, well-liked in Fort McMurray among the public. The nomination battle is not the general public voting on this. It's party members. It's all about getting people to sign up to support you in the UCP. But going into this issue about if Jean was to win this, what would Kenny do? He is. I asked him this question in a news conference a few weeks ago. He said, well, I, I would support you know anybody who wins the nomination, including Brian Jean, 100% behind him. How would they handle that? How would they handle him as, as a, a candidate for the UCP in a by-election in Fort McMurray? Would it just like, put tools down and not help him? Um, it just seems to me that the inertia would be so great in the favor of the UCP and Brian Jean that they would still win this. 
Um, the NDP simply could not win that. Now, again, it is interesting to think, you're right, if they could, in a sense, not support uh, Brian Jean, at least not do it overtly and just let him lose to the NDP, then you're right. Then it becomes an issue of uh, Kenny saying, what happened? Uh, they split the vote and um, or the NDP was given that free hand because Brian Jean's trying to undermine me. But I think what's most likely is maybe Brian Jean doesn't win this, has to run as an independent, makes things somewhat more difficult for him. If he does win the nomination, I think just the inertia in Fort McMurray with Brian Jean being so well known up there that he couldn't help but win for the UCP and therefore make things a lot more difficult for Kenny yeah. in 2022 uh, for some context uh alberta's election the provincial election 2019 uh in the writing of fort mcmurray lack labish layla goodridge won for the conservatives with 66 percent of the vote jane stroud the ndp candidate took 24 and a half percent so quite a distance between the two of them tanny yao winning the riding of fort mcmurray wood buffalo stephen drover was the ndp candidate there uh tanny yao take wins with 71 percent of the vote those are massive margins uh stephen drover the ndp candidate with with 20 just under 22 percent of the vote so so that'll be a lot of work for the ndp to lift i'm going to make a bold prediction here that if brian jean does not secure the nomination here uh i don't think he's going to run as an independent in 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 2023 i don't see it happening i i can't understand why he would do that it doesn't make sense to me that's a lot of work to then sit in the legislature as an independent with an office buried across the grounds and virtually no power no say pushed to the back with a malicious premier to intent on stifling your every breath no chance no way we're talking to graham thompson and Janet French back in literally one minute to talk about Alberta's opioid crisis and what this government's doing about it, specifically in the context of safe supply. But I want to remind you right now, there's still time to get your hands on a pair of poppy barleys. If you're looking to put something very special under the tree, this is the on-tread Chelsea boot, the Chesley boot, rather, that I want to tell you about right now. I've got a pair myself of their new men's boots lineup. They've just redone their entire men's collection. They're absolutely incredible. If I wouldn't pull a hamstring, I would show you right now on camera. But Sam, I just, I can't get my legs up. I can't do it. But look at these boots. They're incredible. I love them. The most comfortable boots you'll ever have. The team at Poppy Barley stands for a new kind of luxury. Fair prices on products that you will wear on repeat. You will not wear boots or shoes, whether you're a man or a woman, as comfortable as you will with Poppy Barley. And they partner with family-owned factories in Mexico and Europe, sustainably making footwear, accessories, and homewares that last season after season. You can shop at their stores in Market Mall or Southgate Center in Calgary and Edmonton, respectively, or online 24 hours a day at poppybarley.com. Our friends at Breathe Outdoors want to remind you you've trusted them since the 1960s as Campers Village. Their new rebrand acknowledges that while you may not go to camping as your number one outdoor pursuit, perhaps it's hiking, paddling, snowshoeing, climbing, adventure travel, dog walking, the best gear is your best move and they've got it all in store or online at breatheoutdoors.ca. Don't forget their winter adventure sale starts tomorrow. Up to 40% off select gear. The best way to find out what's on sale, 40% off, is to sign up for their Campers Club. That's their newsletter list that has some great perks. You can find it all. All the details at breatheoutdoors.ca. 
We're grateful to be able to convene with Graham Thompson, a longtime columnist, keeping an eye on Alberta and Janet French, provincial affairs reporter as well. You can read their work online. Janet's with the CBC. Graham, you're you're Graham. You've been doing a ton of I'm loving your Alberta views column. You must be loving the fit there and I politics and, and getting involved a lot with with the CBC. It certainly, I think, is a testament to the both of you, uh, the staying power that you've had covering stories in Alberta. You've seen different premiers, different governments come and go. And that context is important, including in this next story when it comes to Alberta's opioid crisis. Uh, Janet, I want to go to you first. The numbers are staggering out of Alberta's major cities, though this is certainly not limited to Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, Lethbridge, etc. But EMS being called more than 100 times a week in major cities like Calgary and Edmonton. Advocates have long argued it's time for sustained and increased investment in things like supervised consumption services. And now the conversation's turning to so-called safe supply. The government's addressed it. Doesn't sound like it's a big fan of it, but it is putting it out in front of the public. And it, it sounds like soliciting expert voices, though I know some people are cynical about that. Can you bring us up to speed on the details of what's going on right now? For sure. So this is something that, you know, various researchers, advocates have been calling for for probably three, four years. Um, It's become sort of even more urgent. If you look at the data on how many people are dying of opioid poisoning and just general, you know, toxicity poisoning from any substance use in Alberta, um, just right after the pandemic hit Alberta, the numbers just skyrocket. And they've been kind of, you know, modulating up and down ever since, but we've never gotten, you know, Alberta was on a decent track with reducing those kinds of deaths before uh, the pandemic hit. And then just the isolation. um, I mean, there's a lot of theories about why it increased, but, but it did increase. And the stat that the opposition always likes to toss in the government's face is that approximately four people in Alberta are dying per day of opioid poisoning. So um, there's a lot of the, of course, the the sort of crux of the argument now is what do you do about it? What's the most effective way to uh, prevent this from happening? And the government is in a bit of a difficult position because their tack is, uh, their focus is on recovery. So getting people into detox, getting people into long-term programs so they can hopefully address the underlying issues that are driving them to addiction in the first place, and then ideally not have them relapse. So uh, they see harm reduction such as, um, you know, some of these safe consumption sites, supervised consumption sites, and so-called safe supply as being a bit of a band-aid that doesn't solve the problem in the long term. Uh, The difficulty is that investing in a recovery system and creating these like recovery communities where people can live in a supportive environment for a long term, that's a long term strategy, you know, and it and I think the, the big argument now is like how much weight do you put on that? Longer term strategy versus addressing the people who are dying right now, not just on the streets, but in suburban homes alone, isolated. And so what the government decided to do, because they were under a lot of pressure to consider this issue of safe supply, but they're very um, they're very wary of it. They're very they're a little bit ideologically opposed to it. And they're concerned. Not about a little bit. 
they are. Well, I'm, I'm being, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm being terrible. You're being generous. Yeah. Charitable, yeah. So they're, uh, they're, they are concerned about some of the things that they're seeing in Vancouver and Ontario in places where this is already in action. And they're concerned about liability. So they're like, okay, we're going to bring this out in the open. We are going to have this uh, standing committee in the legislature. So legislature has lots of these committees. Nobody in the public needs to worry about that. We will go to it for you and uh, figure out what's going on at them. But it's a nice place for, for MLAs to delve into an issue and just really have the time and space to sort of hash that out. And so the way that they're going to structure this in the new year is they're going to allow experts from all perspectives on this issue, including people in the medical field and addictions and even people with interest in like pharmaceuticals and lawyers and insurance folks, um, lots of angles having a look at this particular issue. So like what are the risks and benefits of a program like this and what if you were going to offer people um, a safe source of, as the government calls it, like taxpayer-funded drugs, um, what should it look like? What what should have, what sort of limit should be on a program like that to make sure that it's not abused or um, misused? So my, uh, it depends who you ask. Like you said, there's a lot of cynicism about this, but uh, some folks uh, would say that the government has gone into this with a preconceived notion of the conclusion they want to reach, right? And others, uh, but others within the government seem to be interested in um, considering such a program, but with very strict limits, right? Small number of people enrolled, very people who have failed every other course of treatment, right? Yeah, I appreciate that analysis, Janet. I mean, I mean, you know, I think that we, sometimes we just we say something. A journalist like you will just put a number in front of us and go, "Oh yeah," and then we move around. Our, our I mean, we should this should grab people by the shoulders and shake them. Four Albertans die every day uh, from opioid poisoning. That's an average of twenty eight Albertans a week. That's an average of more than one hundred. It's an average of more than twelve hundred Albertans a year. That should grab us in a stranglehold and demand our attention. And I think one of the reasons, Graham, for the cynicism is that as one example off the top of my head, Associate Minister of Addictions, whatever his title is, Jason Luan, I mean, last year, drawing a direct line, in, insisting that big pharma was behind supervised consumption services. People are going, this is a tin foil hat type conspiracy theory from the guy that's steering a lot of the government policy on this file. People are very concerned about that. The language from the premier on this, essentially, I mean, if I can paraphrase Jason Kenny, he believes that safe supply is enabling, quote unquote, addicts to continue in their addiction. There, there, there's there's no spectrum of services in Jason Kenny's world. It's, it's either go to detox. It's the just say no plan. It's the abstinence before marriage plan. It's the one that experts have been saying for decades just doesn't work. Are Albertans going to get a fair shake on, on on this entire initiative, Graham, do you think? Uh, well, this is a case, again, where Kenny's personal ideology runs up against reality. And you're right. You know, his, um, his comments about um, safe consumption sites basically giving you know, uh, pharmacy-grade quality drugs to addicts goes back to a Facebook, uh, Facebook post back at this three years ago. So you can see he's very much against this idea of safe consumption sites. Of course, they've closed some of them down. Experts are saying you need safe consumption sites. You need treatment beds. They're also funding a, a drug called Sublocade. That's not going to be funded completely by the government. And that's a drug that if you get it, um, it kills the cravings, apparently, for uh, opioids for 30 days in your system. So you get all kinds of things the government can do, but it seems to be really stacked against the idea of uh, safe consumption sites because this is Kenny's personal ideology, but it's hitting reality. 
but experts saying you need safe consumption sites to help people in the short term. Get them into treatment, you bet, but let's save lives up front. And too often, this is Kenny's, Kenny's personal reaction is, I'm right, you're wrong, we'll go this way. And he, of course, you mentioned as ministers, you know, yes, I serve, yes, sir, I'll do what you tell me to do. And they go out and do it, just sort of Bill 81, things like that. Uh, so this is the reality hitting the government's uh, short-term plan and long-term plan. Experts are going to tell them safe consumption sites. Kenny doesn't want to hear that. A lot of his supporters, maybe the more right-wing conservatives in rural areas, don't want to hear it either. The idea, as you said, just say no. Very simplistic, doesn't work. So now they're going to go to a committee and try and figure things out a bit more slowly. In a sense, a way to try and not admit they're wrong, but once again, uh, accept reality at some level and then move on that way. But again, never admit you're wrong in this government. Just do the right thing eventually. But yeah. don't admit you're doing the right thing. Because it's like you know, the vaccine passports. Kenny said, never will I bring in a vaccine passport. And he brings it in, but he calls that a restrictions exemption program to try and avoid admitting he was wrong. So this is sort of um, the way the government plays out on serious uh, issues of life and death in this province. I'm not the type of person to give credit to folks who do the right thing when they are dragged, kicking and screaming, facing mutiny every time leading up to them doing the right thing. Uh, that to me is a real problem. And I don't care if you're a right winger or a left winger or no winger. I don't care if you don't know anything about politics, but you still have strong opinions on things like this Four people a day. Human beings are dying and it demands our attention. I'm so grateful that the two of you have made time for us today. I'm big fans of both of your work, and we're grateful to have you reporting on not just Alberta's political landscape, but the people here, too. Graham Thompson, a longtime columnist. You can follow him on Twitter at Inc. And Janet French, you can read her work at cbc.ca, the provincial affairs reporter there. Thanks to both of you. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks so much, Ryan. Take care. You bet. Janet French and Graham Thompson, if you like what you just heard from them, if it's making you think, we'd love for you to smash that like button and share this interview. Uh, Sarah will be posting the highlights of it and the link to the podcast and to, of course, our YouTube channel within about an hour of the time we go off air live. It's typically before 2 p.m. Eastern, before noon mountain time. We appreciate everybody that shows this show a lot of love. Uh, that includes our sponsors. Friesen Brothers wants to remind you, I and mean, this is a big time of year. Check this out right on their website, Friesen.com. It's Christmas and no family should go hungry. I, I love this at Friesen.com. Help support your local food bank. You can find out more about what they're doing there. A big part of what Friesen Brothers does through the holidays are their Christmas feasts and the Christmas dinner box. So they're fresh market stores. You can find out which ones they are online. They'll be hosting these Christmas feasts every Saturday, including this Saturday coming up from 4 to 8 p.m. All you can eat turkey and ham dinner buffets for just $25 a person. My face just lights up when I read all you can eat turkey and ham. It's like a challenge. I love it. I'm up for the challenge. Is there anything else that you eat or is it just turkey like and ham? Like all you can eat? Uh, turkey and ham would be right at the top of the list. What about the potatoes? Yeah, but potatoes are kind of space fillers. Like to what? me, to me, what you want to do is I treat like with a turkey dinner, I treat the potatoes on turkey like I treat horseradish on beef. Whoa. Like it just adds a little bit, but 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 the turkey is the main and, and then the gravy. 
let's not rule out the importance of the gravy here. Plus the Christmas dinner box. Let their chefs prepare your Christmas dinner. None of the work for you, but all of the praise. You can order your ready to reheat Christmas box online on their website, freezing.com. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, I-, I told you I had a chance to chat with Mike over lunch the other day, and he made such a great point to me about supply chain issues. He said, you know, a lot of people, uh, they intend to get in touch with us at Eden Landscaping. He said, I know it's coming. Every March, April into May, people get in touch and say, we want this project done and we want it done by the time that summer starts. And they're sitting there going, okay, but we got to source all these materials and this could take longer than we think. And the last thing you want is your back or front yard all torn up while you wait months for the lumber or the other building supplies to arrive. Having your landscape designer also be your builder allows for continuity. And that's part of the magic with Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park right now reminding you that the blizzard of the month for December is the peppermint hot cocoa blizzard treat. This is just over the top and I love it. Somebody wrote in the other day, Sam, to say, how can you have a hot cocoa frozen blizzard? It doesn't make any sense. And yet I ate one last night and it was amazing. Your review, please, Sam. Your full review, please. Little shaved bits of candy cane go a long way to make something taste just ah, spectacular. My man nails it every time. How many? It seems to me like you go to Dairy Queen an awful lot, don't you? Don't you live like four blocks from a Dairy Queen? Yeah. Yeah. We won't reveal your address, but I suspect it's the Dairy Queen in Westmount, Sam, along with Palisades, <laughs> the Mayo, Newcastle, and Baseline Road. We're gonna have people starting out and going four blocks in every direction from the Westmount Dairy Queen. They want to have blizzards with Samuel Brooks. Uh, they can also uh, at those Dairy Queens provide you with these DQ bucks that they've got. Here's how it works. This is amazing in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital. I tweeted yesterday a little fella. Did you see this undergoing brain surgery? I just, every single time I see those stories, I think of the the little kids and the courage that they show and their parents. And I'm just going to take a little extra time here to let you know that it is just, it's, you can donate five bucks to the Stollery and still it's, it's like, it's like you're not donating at all, but you are. It's one of these extra things where it's okay if there's a little benefit to your donation. Dairy Queen's going to give you a $5 DQ buck for a $5 donation to the hospital. So you, you can make the donation and then you can go get yourself a blizzard or a flamethrower burger or whatever other burger you want. The steakhouse burger is the one I'm obsessed with right now. All of those at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And let's take a look at today's review of the Real Talk cask number one, Woody Creek Bourbon. Yes, I did just go from blizzards to bourbon. It's like real life here on the air. How about this from an audience member yesterday that, or a couple of days ago that just posted this photo? They posted, they, they got one of our limited edition, limited release bottles. There's only 210 of them on planet Earth. I reply, yes. And then he replies to me, says, the sad part, it's a Christmas gift for my brother, says Pork Soda Album. I think I may have to return for the bourbon. Says it was William H. Macy that sold me, thanks to Sherbrooke Liquor. Uh, well, shout out to you. Your brother's going to be a happy man on Christmas Day. I guarantee you that. You can find our cask bourbon, cask number one, at Sherbrooke Liquor and Whiskey Drop in Edmonton. I was there yesterday. They've got a few bottles left, not a ton. You know what I was able to do? They had all the uh, all the bills of sale out. They had them all set out. So they've got these Real Talk bourbon bottles all across their back shelf. I was like, you mind if I take a look at the names on those? He goes, no, fill your boots. I was like, there we go. I recognize that. Don't recognize that. Don't recognize that. Left a little greeting on there. Hey, thank you very much. These bottles will be gone before you know it. If you're down in Calgary, Vine Arts is where you can pick up the Real Talk cask number one bourbon. 
Uh, we're just a few minutes away. I want to get to a couple of your emails today. Hoyles is going to take us into dictionary.com's word of the year. The audience engagement on this was amazing. You, 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 you put out the uh, plea to people. Stay off your Google machines. It's like you can't do trivia nights anymore either. A friend of mine used to host Monday Night Football trivia. Those nights are dead now because everybody's on their phone under the table. Everybody gets the answers right. But we had people submit their guests for the word of the year, and we'll get into that in just a second. Plus, eat your words coming up. I'm going to get a little fired up about this one because it's something that needs to be said. But first, there's a study. This is a heartwarming one. This will get your heart beating, maybe in sync with your loved one. Who knows? Maybe it depends on how long you've been together. A study shows that older couples heart rates actually synchronize the more time they spend together how amazing is this dr brian agalski is a romantic relationship researcher also an associate professor director of graduate programs in the department of human development and family studies at the university of illinois his research examines how partners in relationships maintain those healthy relationships across the course of their lives I'm really looking forward to this. Dr. Agalski, welcome to the show, and thanks for making time for us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, you bet. And so so we're sitting here and we're going, okay, these are the types of studies we need to hear about because it seems like all we hear about is how divorce rates are on the rise and this new next generation of millennials or the generation following them just doesn't value the institution of marriage anymore. So when we start taking a look at the long-term impacts, especially the beneficial ones of relationships, are we, are we talking about a specific subsect of people or do we have to look to older people that may view marriage? differently than the general population does now you know not necessarily you know media loves of course the the uh the clickbait studies uh, about divorce rates and all these kind of things but you know what we do in our lab is we're looking at what keeps people ticking what what keeps people moving along um, and so that's really why we did this study is that we were looking for some indication of what happens when people are together for the long term and what can we learn about them, about, you know, health related behaviors that may be beneficial or may not be beneficial for that matter. And so what got you into this? Like, did, was there somebody was there a couple in your life or was, was there something that, that happened to you personally where you went, ah, this is where I want to spend my time? You know, it, funny you should ask that question. I mean, I, I have wonderful role models in my life. Uh, both my parents have been married for, you know, forever. My in-laws have been married for forever. But really none of that is, is it, it was a lot of serendipity. Uh, you know, when I went to grad school, my uh, advisor says, you know, we're going to look at romantic relationships. And I thought, wait, I can make a career on studying people's relationships. I got to do this. So what actually happens? Like, can you take us when we say heart rates synchronize? I don't know if this is weird for me to bring up. Maybe it's weird for me to bring up. The show's called Real Talk. Let me Hoyles is like my producers just sitting here. Do you know where I'm going with this about women like living in dormitories together and how menstrual cycles start to align? That Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a real thing, right? Uh, well, maybe the doctor can speak to that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, no, I think, I think it happens, but I also heard that that's, you know, witchcraft. No, it, oh. does, it doesn't actually, it's not like, it's kind of pseudoscience. So maybe it, maybe it's a clickbait study. Maybe. Like, like doc, you just said, but, but, but I don't know if that's your wheelhouse either, but I've, I've heard that before. Is, is this a story along those lines, a phenomenon along those lines? So that, that's well outside. Uh, I'll leave that to the real doctors. I, you know, I just play one on TV, right? Okay. Um, fair enough. So but really at the end of the day 
what we're talking about here are patterns in which people are starting to see changes. So one, one couple enters the room, what happens to the other person? It doesn't mean at the very moment the two partners are together, all of a sudden their hearts start beating as one, as beautiful as that may be. Um, I don't want to oversell what we're doing here, but really what we were interested in, funny enough, is we're just really interested in understanding what happens when people are close to each other. Um, so the study really came about as a study of proximity rather than heart rate at all. But what we wanted to know is when people are close together, what happens to their heart rates? Um, and, and, you know, what sort of evolved from that is we were noticing in close proximity, there are noticeable and pattern changes that happen to one partner's heart rate or the other. And depending on the day of the week, what's going on in that day, some days uh, it's her heart rate that triggers his heart rate to do something. Some days it's his that trigger hers to do something. So it's really about interaction. What are the, what's the nature of those interactions? What's happening on a given day? Rather than some sort of global pattern where, you know, good couples heart rates beat in sync or some, some such thing. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about because I, I wonder, does, is it an indicator of a healthy relationship? I mean, like if you've just found out that your spouse is, you know, has an online gambling problem and has blown away your fortune uh, without your knowledge or you suspect that your spouse is having an affair or you're pissed off at your spouse for, for failing to you know shovel the walks and then you slipped and fell and dropped your groceries are your heartbeats still going to align in the same way as though you've just come back from renewing your vows in kihei <laughs> probably not um and again not to oversell what we did we we didn't have the ability necessarily to see every possible way in which couples would choose to spend time together or not what we were after is what's happening in their homes so that we track them in real time all day long, their literal spatial proximity. So how many meters away or centimeters away, as the case may be, from each other in milliseconds all day long for two weeks time. So what we were getting is their normal day to day lives when, you know, sort of uh, transgressions happen, like you're talking about a, a, a partner's cheating or um, we get a diagnosis of a health uh, issue that, you know, could be traumatic. Those are going to be very different kinds of reactions, most likely. What we're looking for is the sort of day-to-day -day interaction. What, what's happening there? And is that indicative of anything larger? Okay, so this isn't day-to-day. Uh, but a comment from Trisha, who's watching us live right now, she says, I'm, I'm she says, I better listen to this entire interview. She says, my mom died of congestive heart failure 15 days after my stepdad died. You hear those types of stories. Now, I know you're talking about a sort of a shorter term perspective on this, but we do hear those stories. Yeah, I mean, and and that's at the at the end of the day, those are the kinds of things we're trying to figure out in the long term. Is there something physiological that triggers an emotional reaction, a health reaction. What can we learn from these kind of things? And our study really was of sort of a pilot size. It's very small still. We're trying to understand what it means to be in close proximity, but you absolutely hear those stories and they're real. They're absolutely real. Why that happens, we don't entirely know, but that's what we're after is why, how can we understand What's going to trigger one partner to change the physiology of another partner? And is it as simple 
as being close to each other, as being, you know, you think about some of the couples in our study who have been together. I mean, we had we had couples married 40, 50 years. The, the nature of that relationship really changes over time where one could become really a caretaker. So what, is that, what does that synchrony mean in the context of a caretaking relationship? Well, for one person, it may mean wonderful things. If you're being cared for, you know, if something happens, uh, you know, a health problem happens, that person's gonna be there for you to make sure that, you know, you can get to the hospital. On the other hand, what does it mean for the person who's giving the care? And that physiology may be quite different, living under conditions of stress and worrying about the partner. So those are the things we're still trying to work out and, you know, hoping to to get a, a larger study to be able to do that. Brian, I would imagine, I mean, yours is a field where the, the, the more you learn, the more questions you have. I mean, I bet you've found applications for your findings that maybe you didn't even imagine at the outset. Yep. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of the study. It was a it was kind of a coffee shop idea with another colleague of mine who's across campus. And we started thinking it's really kind of kind of misguided to keep asking couples to just tell us how close are you? How satisfied are you? And think that that's some sort of, you know, objective truth. We know that couples when they've been married for 40 or 50 years, we ask them, you know, how satisfied, how committed are you? And almost always they laugh at us and say, what do you mean how committed? I've been in this relationship for 50 years. What am I going to do now? Leave it. Um, And so those kind of self-report measures really aren't going to give us a whole lot more than we've known years and years and years. So that's what we were after is this objective measurement, something that's happening under the skin, beyond the control of, you know, our abilities to to really notice most likely. Mm. Um, But in terms of applications, absolutely. We're we're thinking about what happens when we study, for example, uh, doctors around their patients, proximity. You, you would expect a doctor who's around, if, you, if you're in proximity with that doctor more often when you're under care, probably a good thing. We don't really know, though, because these are really costly studies to do. Um, and, you know, doctors are busy people, too. So, yeah, um, this is just fascinating stuff. We're getting a lot of, a lot of feedback from audience members here. Um, just wait till the podcast drops. But Tony says, interesting conversation says, I don't think our heartbeats are in sync necessarily, but I'm sure our blood pressure goes up together sometimes, (laughs) which is interesting. And then Jason follows up and says, interesting stuff. He says, I know our kids feed off our levels of stress too. Have you considered expanding this study to see if entire family units might experience this phenomenon? That that would be great. I mean, we have at this moment, just to get the size of the study that we had, it, it's, it's very labor intensive to do this kind of work. So we first wanted to see, do we have proof of concept here? Is anything at all happening? Um, but uh, funny enough, the, one of the colleagues of mine who designed the sensor itself originally tested it on his dog. So he hooks up his dog to this sensor and then we, he wanted to know, well, which members of the family are closest with the dog in proximity. So we had a good laugh about this because engineers do wacky things. Um, So absolutely, we could expand this in lots of different types of ways. Um, To the blood pressure comment, we actually thought about that, um, but devices that measure blood pressure in real time um, are both expensive and slightly unreliable. Um, So as it is, heart rate is difficult to track well. Um, but, you know, with Fitbits and the Garmin watches and these kind of things, they do a respectable job. 
Um, the blood pressure in real time is still sort of an emerging technology in terms of doing a good job. Um, so that audience member probably has a great point, one we thought about, but we just didn't have the tech to do it. I love it. This is fascinating stuff. If people want to learn more or follow your research, oftentimes this show serves as a, a bit of a gateway. So you've been warm, doctor. You may have you may have some new fans after today. People can follow you on Twitter at B. Ogolsky. Uh, of course, Sarah links to all of our guests from our official Twitter account every morning at Real Talk RJ. Brian's a romantic relationship researcher, director of graduate programs in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies. What a fascinating field at the University of Illinois. Thanks for making time for us today. It's a pleasure to meet you. Hey, thanks so much, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. I love these types of stories. It's like the, the phenomenon that occurs. Oh, and by the way, uh, perhaps they're not doctors either. I don't know. But on our live chat, a lot of people saying the, the, the cycle thing, the menstruation thing, not a thing. I mean, I know that it happens, but they say that it's pseudoscience. Like yeah. it's, it's not it's not a proven thing. But at the same time, lived experience. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things. I, I, dare I open the can? I can say two words that will open an enormous can. But one thing I learned in doing years of talk radio, some people will experience things that medically or scientifically or with evidence cannot be explained, but they swear they're experiencing them. Lyme disease is a classic example you talk about people with experience with Lyme disease and then you talk to medical experts and there's a lot of gray area there. It's not black or white. It's not like brain tumor. Yes or no. Lyme disease is one of those things where people will say, hey, I don't care what your opinion is on whether or not this is or is not a thing or is or is not valid. My experience is this mm. and I swear by it because it's my experience. Um, we did a series of shows on Lyme disease once. Boy, was that ever an eye opener for me. Um, Ryan's wondering if I saw his mom's name on the list of folks that are buying bottles of Real Talk bourbon. Ryan says it's the only thing I've asked for. Uh, Ryan, I would never tell. But no, I didn't. I don't know what your mom's name is. I love that. I like, can't please, ruin please, please. Christmas for somebody. I can't ruin that. The only reason I told the other one, the only reason we showed that other tweet, Sam, of the Christmas is because Buddy put it on Twitter. I'm like, I'm assuming your brother's not. Well, maybe his brother's not on Twitter and he's well, maybe we've just ruined everything. Way to go. Oh, you wrecked boy. Christmas. Oh, boy. Ruining Christmas. Believe it or not. Some people are not on Twitter. Yeah. Believe it or not. Hang on a second, Sam. The next thing you're going to tell us is that Twitter's not real life. What? By the way, if I can say on a personal note uh, before the show moves right along to our next bit of compelling content. It's been fascinating for me to read our live chat because Sam's fiance is in the live chat sharing her thoughts on the dynamics of relationships, which is absolutely yeah, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> and I'm so enjoying it. Sam, she's packing her bags right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, Kelly made an amazing point. And she said, to, uh, and now I've lost it because the chat is just going nuts right now. But but she said something really on point. I think she said basically the reasons why millennials may. Here it is. She says, I think the, the divorce rate uh, may have a lot more to do with women being able to function in society without a man now. So they're more empowered to leave when things aren't working. She also went on to say, I also read that millennials are divorcing less because we're taking more time before getting married in the first place, which I think is a really good point. I think she's spot on. I mean, like that's personal. Yeah, what experience. else are you going to say? Yeah, of well, exactly. Say that. Right, but it's like <laughs> she's right. She's right. Kelly's right. Kelly's right. She's right all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've been yeah, together yeah. for eight years. We're getting married next year. I'm thirty. I'll be thirty three when I get married. Yeah. And I know that. Like, go back a couple decades. That would be very abnormal. Oh, 33 would yeah. be. Yeah, I was. You're I was. What was I? I was thirty. Yeah, I was a month shy of my thirty second birthday when we got married. 
Uh, I've got friends that got married when they were, everybody does. Everybody has, well, maybe not everybody, but friends of mine got married when they were 20. First kids at 21. Last kid at 25. Now they're like 45 kids are out of the house and they're like, woo! And we're going, uh. (laughs) Actually, when I see people that are like, when they had their kids when they were in their 20s, I'm kind of like, wow, that's so cool. Like your kids, you're still young and like agile to be able to. Like when you're 36 and you have an 18 year old kid is pretty wild yeah. and there are people that have kids younger than that and then on the flip side now you have people that are having kids later in life and and it's a, just a, a different dynamic there's not right or wrong way no. to do it it's whatever fits for people coming up in just a second dictionary.com's word of the year uh for 2021 we're going to get into that in just a second i want to remind you first quickly that our hashtag when you're in touch with us on social media in particular on instagram and twitter the hashtag is real talk rj it's powered by the team at park power you can compare rates on electricity natural gas and internet right now you'll go jesperson you keep saying the same thing about comparing rates why are you hammering that down because some of you are paying too much every single month for your utilities and you don't have to every single month you're overpaying you have a choice and right now the best choice that's the official position of me this show and everybody associated with this show is that park power is worth your time at least the investigation into what it could look like to partner with them plus they take switching over off your plate you don't have to have that awkward phone call with your former utilities provider more details at parkpower.ca the promo code 2021-realtalk gets you 70 dollars off your first bill why are you laughing well i just would love to be like a fly on the wall when park power gets to call the other other uh, provider and be like so just so you're aware yoink it's like having your new girlfriend call to break up with your old girlfriend. Hey, FYI, Jonathan will be in Mexico this Christmas with me. Jonathan's going, I'm glad I didn't have to make that phone call. And the ex-girlfriend's like, thank God. Thank God. I can't stand that guy. My heart's been beating out of sync with his for six months now. Kubi Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. They are a full-service contractor. Tesla certified, by the way, for residential and commercial solar power systems. What that means is that if you're looking at going sustainable, you're looking at going green, but you want it to make sense, you have questions like real ones that matter, like what happens if I can't get power in the middle of the winter when the sun's not shining? They've got the answers for you at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, they present positive reflections every Monday here on the show. If something filled your bucket, we want to hear about it to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And we're giving you cool little fun, tiny stocking stuffer Christmas ideas. What's more cute and fun than a tiny little key to a brand new beautiful Jeep Wagoneer? Coming up on Christmas, the best selection in Alberta is at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They've got that Jeep Grand Cherokee L as well. This is the first Grand Cherokee with the third row of seating, a seven-seater Grand Cherokee. You can check them out online. They've got all their inventory listed there under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. So sometimes we solve the world's problems. Sometimes we take a look at the most pressing issues of the day. And every once in a while on the show, we have a little fun as well. And the producer of this program, Sarah Hoyles, has been taking a look at Dictionary.com's 2021 Word of the Year. Before we get into what the word is and discuss and debate it, we asked audience members to give us their best guess on what that word might be. Without going to Google. You said no Googling. And I think most people complied. And so Jeremy wonders if the word of the year is concerning <laughs> troubling <laughs> it's more of an editorial on how jeremy's felt this year um i, I, I 
chuggy. Does yep. anyone know what that is? Yeah. What else uh, what does that mean? It's it's kind of, it developed over on the socials, and basically what it means is if something's super outdated, like. Yeah, that's so. In other words, me not knowing how to pronounce chuggy or what it means makes me chuggy. Kinda. So I am the metaphor here. I am the. Case you basically in point. have are illustrating it very beautifully. Okay, Terry says her predictive text, which is a very 2021 way to look at this, says her predictive text has gotten used to words like jab, premise, <laughs> rejecting the premise, curriculum, yeet, vaccine, unprecedented, and super spreader. Coralie Nones nomination Earmuffs Kids is just Fuck <laughs> Meantime Tara's is Clusterfuckery uh, Laura guessed Variant or My guess Along with Laura's Jab mm. I wondered if it might be Jab Craig wonders if it's Fucktacular Cy wonders if it's Trigger warning A little bit of a reference To Alberta's Premier I think And wonders if it's FFS which, as far as I know, stands for, for fuck's sake. Edwin is going with Vax. Mandy's going with gaslighting. Janet wonders if it's maybe, hopefully, something progressive like anti-racism or ally. Do you wonder if maybe Janet Googled or should we give her credit? I'm going to, I'm, I, you know, I believe people, give people benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. I think, I think that Janet has just been awarded two points on the real talk scoreboard because per dictionary.com the 2021 word of the year is allyship allyship were you surprised at this one um it seems it, it seems very progressive it seems like and i feel like you know a lot of people maybe that the word is going to be co-opted and made to be like a pejorative like woke is now yeah um so yeah i mean social justice warrior yeah that kind of thing snowflake you I've know. always wondered what's so offensive about social justice warrior. It sounds to me to be quite a noble calling, as a matter of fact. I don't know. One of the interesting I things. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I mean, if somebody calls you a social, I've always just sort of thought, thank you. Uh, fighting for social justice. When that becomes <laughs> yeah. an insult, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, Sam, one of the interesting things about allyship, as we've heard on the show uh, through the course of meaningful and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, which is our mandate is that to be an ally is one thing. To call yourself an ally is an entirely different thing. Not preferred oftentimes, which kind of adds an interesting dynamic to this one. I think it does. I think that there's also, you know, uh, 2021 and 2020 especially, but let's say 2021 here in Canada and, and around the world. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a lot of um, social issues, social injustice issues worldwide. And while... I agree with you that calling yourself an ally is kind of missing the point. I also think calls for allyship, communities reaching out saying we need allies, we need people to uh, speak on our behalf, we need people that you wouldn't expect to stand up and say this is our cause too, um, that really resonates. So I kind of see this as a little bit more of a call to arms than people proclaiming themselves allies. Huh. On the chat, uh, Sharon says, I'm shocked. Nobody said pivot. Uh, Sharon, in fact, several people did. And that's a great point. I just didn't read them all. We're grateful for all of the yeah, suggestions. So I mean, there's, many. there was a ton of engagement on the post, which we always so appreciate. Uh, Randy uh, Thunderhorse says gaslighting, mm. maybe. Uh, Trisha wonders who the hell says allyship. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Uh, and, and a shout out here as well. I love the the audience member that submitted over caffeinated. Kathy, nice play there. Over caffeinated. Um, Haas wonders, shouldn't they have chosen a word that people actually use? I'm a little surprised that this I don't mean to, you know, 
crap ally all over might it. have been ally might have been more but like even, colloquial would you say that the story of 2021 has been that of allyship i don't think so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm discounting a lot of the movements that we saw around, you know, Black Lives Matter and and perhaps some of the conversations around reconciliation in Canada. Maybe I'm ignoring that, but I just allyship to me. Let me just say this. I was surprised that that was the word. Absolutely. And there are a variety of like we're coming to the end of the year. So lots of different organizations are putting out their top 10 lists and top top of the tops. Yeah. And so this is this is dictionary.com. So there are a variety of different words of the year. Something that kind of twigged for me is looking at past years in 2020. The top word of the year for dictionary.com was pandemic. Yeah. I love this. And this is just so like kind of a snapshot of the times. 2019 existential. 2018 misinformation 2017 complicit complicit (laughs) wow so it kind of tells you like what's going on in the old zeitgeist yeah shout out to les who suggests it should be real talk out of boy that's too out of boy uh randy by the way thunderhorse followed up here he said i'm indigenous and i'm a business owner and i'm so tired of all these non-indigenous businesses jumping on quote-unquote allyship with indigenous people and communities to try to make a profit randy that's a really interesting point and i appreciate you putting that in our chat uh you know scarlet wonders why variant wasn't it could have been variant easily you that's a great suggestion from scarlet you think of 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 what can throw people's day or week for a loop it's the announcement of a new variant right it's the announcement of another wave Uh, That's what throws a lot of people. Mike's wondering, how wasn't it unprecedented? That's another great suggestion as well. More and more people invoking that word, I think. And getting sick of it. Oh, getting sick of it. Absolutely. Because it doesn't actually mean anything. It's gobbledygook now. But I I feel like 20... The time is melding. So I feel like 2020 was maybe unprecedented. Um, 2021, we're like, yeah, this we're in it for the long haul. The, The pandemic is here for a while yeah i know i saw somebody tweet yesterday hey let's uh make the third year of the pandemic the best year yet (laughs) optimism for 2022 wanted to read uh, some of your emails some of these more serious than others we always appreciate it don't forget every email we receive goes into the mix for the real talk email of the month the winner of that email of the month chosen through a stringent process is going to receive one of these, our Real Talk Crescent mug, shipped to you, obviously, at no cost on us. If you want to just go ahead and buy a mug, maybe in time for the holidays, you can find them under the merch page at ryanjesperson.com. Marcella got in touch with us. She said, team, on December 6th of 1989, I was studying engineering at the University of Alberta. I was busy with end-of-term assignments. I was studying and I was planning my wedding. To my now husband, the events that day, of course, were surreal and horrifying with those cold-blooded killings at Ecole Polytechnic in Montreal. Twelve of those 14 women were studying engineering at a time when almost every engineer was a man. My heart aches for them still and for all women who are victims of gender-based violence and all of those that lost such a bright potential. And in the 32 years since that day, I've been blessed with a fulfilling career, I've raised three daughters with my partner, and I have served my community and my profession. She says, as a Patreon supporter of Real Talk since the beginning, thank you, Marcella. She says, I appreciate Real Talk on gender-based violence, and thank you for saying their names. That from Marcella DeYoung, PNG, a professional engineer. Thank you for that. 
I appreciated this from Crystal, our conversation on abortion the other day. You know, I used to say, I'm going to be honest with you. I used to say that there are very few topics I wouldn't touch on talk radio. One of them was abortion. And there were reasons for it. And people would accuse me of cowardice. But I would talk about how intensely personal it is and how context is required and how typically I didn't feel like these public conversations on terrestrial radio were very productive because a lot of the feedback was really nasty. Something's happening with real talk. The feedback we get, I mean, we get the odd flamethrower email. People throw a hand grenade our way. But the feedback following our conversation on abortion, uh, in my mind, not everybody agreed with it, to be sure. And of course, that is just keeping it real. But I want to commend everybody that wrote in to talk about a subject that I know is intensely personal, including Crystal, who said, I, I just loved the perspectives that have been shared on this podcast since I discovered it several months ago. I feel like there's some hope for us yet. And regarding your conversation on abortion, as a once prolific pro-lifer, a born and raised evangelical Christian, no longer necessarily subscribing to that perspective, I'm now reluctantly pro-choice. She says, your guests, Jill Doctoroff, Elizabeth Smith, interviewed on Real Talk, missed an opportunity to reach people who are pro-life or pro-birth, or anti-abortion, or however you want to word it. You asked them a question about how to respond to anti-abortion activists who use loaded language, you know, concerned about the babies, the taking of life, the murder, who want to preserve life, who share violent or graphic images to deter people from abortion. But the reaction? Your guest just went straight to the fact that the majority supports abortion and completely ignored concerns broached by those who are anti-abortion. Crystal said an honest discussion about abortion must acknowledge that abortion takes a life i am reluctantly pro-choice because i see the inequality for women regarding sexual rights and freedoms the pressures on single moms and the lack of supports for families policies addressing those concerns may decrease abortion but i acknowledge that one life is being chosen over another the pro-choice movement will never reach staunch pro-lifers unless they can acknowledge that there is one real and pressing argument in favor of pro-life all you need is a 3d ultrasound the argument in favor of abortion should not support more abortion but rather fewer need for them and that less need for abortion is achieved not by anti-abortion legislation but by better health care honest sex education effective family and parenting benefits and more Access to abortion is part of that comprehensive and honest care uh, from Crystal. I really appreciate that email. I know that some of you will be infuriated by her. I know that some of you will be encouraged by her. This show is not meant to comfort you. The show is meant to challenge you. And our email inbox is always open. And how about this one from Curtis? Before we get to eat your words, which is going to be a good one today, Curtis's subject line caught our attention because it has to do with our question of the week that's up right now on our website, ryanjesperson.com. We're asking you about photo radar. Curtis's subject line, photo radar and white privilege. I went, you've got my attention. He says, you know, one reason why columnists like David Staples or, or even politicians like Rachel Notley are getting angry at the so-called useless photo radar tickets is because they have white privilege. What gets ignored a lot in this whole cash cow debate is when a person of color gets some BS jaywalking ticket, for example, or, or in Edmonton, when, it, when a cop like beats up an indigenous man and stops him for not having a bell on his bike. I mean, did, did, did the columnist write about that? Did the politician tweet about that? 
No, they say obey the law, follow the rules. But then when they get a ticket for breaking a law, boy, are they mad, says Curtis. Let's face it. We all know a white girl who got off a ticket when she started to cry. A white man who had the privilege and the free time to show up at court to get his ticket reduced or who was given the benefit of the doubt and given a warning. But guess what? Curtis says photo radar doesn't judge you based on skin color. It judges you based on the law you broke. I have a clean driving record, zero demerits, but I've received three photo radar tickets and a red light ticket over 24 years of driving. Was I happy? No. Was I breaking the law? Yes. Curtis says, so hear me out, white people. You hated when people of color shouted defund the police. But when you get a simple ticket, you yell defund photo radar. This is the definition of white privilege. And both major political parties in Alberta are supporting it. If you want laws changed that fine or punish people for petty offenses, take a look at the harassment people of color get in our cities for walking down the street. Don't play victim because you got a ticket for exceeding the speed limit. Upper middle class drivers and newspaper columnists who block anybody with different opinions than them are not the victims. But when white people start to have police enforce laws against them, it's funny how quickly they want the same reduction in enforcement that rallies by Black Lives Matter and others have been screaming for for years. And shockingly, who is being heard? It's not the defund the police crowd. It's the privileged white voices in Alberta, and they're being heard by both political parties. That from Curtis. That's a hell of an email. As a matter of fact, I'm putting that in the hopper for email of the month. I just got goosebumps. That's a you know what? I've never heard anybody make that point. Someone will say, yeah, that's kind of the point, Jesperson. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the point that you've never heard somebody make that point, that that's never occurred to you. We're writing about you, says Curtis. We're writing about you. Thanks for making us think, Curtis. Not everybody's going to agree. I love it. When I find out that we're hosting a show where everybody agrees, I'm quitting. That's a nightmare for me. Our friends at Local Waste want to remind you that uh, coming up tomorrow, they present, what would this be? Like their 55th edition, I think, of that, Trash that, Talk? That tracks. That sounds about right. Yeah. We're coming up to about 55 editions of Trash Talk. It's been presented since the very beginning, our very first week, by the team at Local Waste operating in Alberta and Saskatchewan right now. you got a roofing job that's going on. Maybe you got a, a big landscaping undertaking. Whatever requires a bin. They've got the 10-foot bins, the 40-foot bins. They do it all. Waste and recycling collection, commercial, residential, construction projects. I mean, they've seen it all as a family-owned business around for more than 25 years. Integrity is their core value, so much so I've seen it in their HQ. It's framed, the word, up on the wall, and it matters to them. That's why we're proud to partner with the team at Local Waste. Now, every Thursday... Uh, you know, we take a look at what's making news around us. Sometimes it's international. Sometimes it's right in our own backyards. We take a look at things people are saying or things people have said. And every once in a while, we invite somebody to eat your words. Presented by Prairie Catering. Today's edition jumps off a video that was posted, poor judgment to say the very least, by a Calgary police constable, the one-time hate crimes coordinator by the name of constable brian dennison who pushed out this comparison vaccine mandates and you know the holocaust from the driver's seat of his squad car those that are vaccinated a lot of them look down on us that are unvaccinated and that's starting the two-tier system very reminiscent of many years ago during uh the world war that Hitler was perpetrating against the Jews. 
he slowly but surely took away the rights, the privileges, all that stuff that people find worthwhile in life. He stripped it away from them. And then he was able to demonize them enough that all the German people were on board to exterminate them because they were nothing. So just start taking a look at some of the correlations there between what has happened and what is happening. Because folks, it's coming. It is coming. Uh-huh. Well, since then, the Calgary Police Service has suspended Constable Dennison, and the official word from the CPS is that he could soon be without a paycheck. Let me just remind everybody that the Nazi regime over the course of about a decade murdered more than 10 million people, including 6 million Jews. And COVID-19 vaccines, as a matter of fact, saved millions of lives and prevented millions of cases of severe illnesses. Uh, You know, opposition to vaccines and vaccine mandates, like we saw from the driver's seat of a squad car of a police officer to serve and protect, that opposition has, uh, of course, perpetrated waves upon waves of COVID-19. The resurgence, the perpetual nature of these vaccine mandates and restriction exemption programs and everything else that this hate crimes unit officer, a one-time officer, seems to be completely against. Uh, By the way, hate crimes coordinator, what do they do? Well, the mandate of an officer like Constable Dennison is to educate Calgarians on the impact and the nature of racism and discrimination. In other words, to use facts and truth in reminding people why things like the Holocaust must never happen again. Not idiotic, obtuse, disingenuous comparisons to getting a vaccine to benefit your fellow human beings and stamp out this pandemic for good. So officer, congratulations. You've achieved the exact opposite and you've done your community a complete disservice. The suspension, well-deserved, most especially pushing this out in uniform. May you be given pause and time to think. You are this week's nominee in the category of Eat Your Words. Presented by our friends at Prairie Catering, who want us to remind you that this is the time of year where folks are going to be looking to get holiday parties together. Now, sometimes it's going to be in person. They've got the Art Gallery of Alberta. They're a stunning venue where you can gather with plenty of space between everybody, all important things considered. And of course, they deliver too if your holiday gathering is of the virtual variety. If you happen to be in our home city of Edmonton, check out Prairie Catering's brand new spectacular. I got caught up on spectacular and stupendous and i couldn't decide which one to go with and i ended up stumbling all over it eating my own words you created a new word it was great stebatupacular spectacular you are not going to want to miss the restaurant may at the art gallery of alberta absolutely stunning offering brunch options as well you can learn more about what they're doing at prairiecatering.ca coming up on tomorrow's show it's friday already we're going to talk to conservative researcher robert falconer a new study showing canadians and albertans have differing ideas about this place plus our traditional friday real talk roundtable olympic boycotts past and present what do they mean for diplomacy sport and canada on the world stage make it a great thursday friends we'll talk to you soon 
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.